Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. The second reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass, their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, for the gift of your word, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you that you're the God who desires to be known. You're the God who shows up. And so we pray that we would hear your word well and that we would be ready for you. We pray that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds, that they might be acceptable. And we ask it in your name and in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we've heard, uh, thanks, thanks to Aaron, we, uh, lots of churches around the world are making their way through this Advent season by marking each of the weeks with a different kind of theme, uh, hope and peace and joy and love. And this year we're joining in that pattern as we have done in years past. And we're doing it in the company of the prophet Isaiah this time around. And last week Isaiah pointed us towards the hope that is ours, right? That we have a God who does wondrous and saving things that we do not expect, things beyond our expectation. And we can count on our God to do the same kinds of things in us and for us and for this world. Because we don't have a God who will stay far off. We don't have a God who's aloof and indifferent at arm's length from the mess of this life. But God gets right down in it 
with us and is even now making all things new, making life where there is no life, making clear paths in the wilderness, making the deserts flow with streams of living water. We, we may not always see it, but we, we can know it. We, we have hope because we have seen it before. This is the sort of thing our God does. This is how our God is. So last week was hope, which means that today is, is peace. Uh, and, and I have to say that for me, peace is maybe the hardest of the four. You know, hope and joy and love come kind of naturally, but you know, peace, not so much. Now, I've, I've always resonated with Mark Twain, who, when he was an old man, said something to the effect of, I've had many troubles in my life, some of which have actually happened. Uh, and I, 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 uh, I think my, my least favorite uh, instruction of Jesus is, is don't worry. <laughs> Right? That's just not a posture that comes very naturally to me. But, but it's a, a necessary condition for, for peace. Uh, of course, uh, peace is one of those nebulous words that can mean different things uh, depending on the situation, right? Particularly, there's a difference between um, inner peace, which you know I'm not great at, and, and outer peace, which maybe comes a little more easily. There's a difference between what's going on in us and what's going on around us. And sometimes those things line up and sometimes they don't. Uh, but in either case, you know, biblically speaking, peace isn't just kind of an absence of conflict or, or, or strife in and around us. Uh, it's the conditions for flourishing. It's the Hebrew word shalom, you know, which isn't just about calm and tranquility, but about harmony and wholeness and completeness. Shalom is what we see when God has created all things and sits back with delight and calls it all very good. It's the world as it was made to be. It's us as we're made to be. It's all things the way that God wants them. Shalom, inside and out. And there are probably other ways that we can think about peace, but for simplicity's sake and for today, I want to think about it with these two distinctions, inner and outer, what's going on in us and what's going on around us. Because Isaiah helps us to see that, that God cares about both. We are meant to be well. We are meant to flourish inside and out. And I want to begin by thinking about inner peace, because I don't believe that we're able to work for the things of peace outside of us if our insides are a mess, right? I mean, let's think about uh, what happened in Genesis 3. This is review for lots of us, but it's good to review these things, right? After God had made everything and called it very good, it just doesn't take very long <laughs> uh, for sin to enter the world. And what we see is that the consequences of sin, the first consequence of sin, of living opposite the way God wants it, is that humans feel shame and guilt and fear. Just a few verses before that, uh, we're told that Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. And you can kind of feel the spiritual reality of that image, right? They're totally seen, unencumbered, open to one another without shame, guilt, or fear. That, that is what we're meant for. And then they fall for the serpent's temptation. They choose life other than the way that God would want it. And all of a sudden, they recognize their nakedness and they hide in a bush, away from God and embarrassed in front of each other and deeply aware of their failure to be faithful. And from there, all the relationships go sideways. The shalom that they're meant for is totally mangled. And that's the story that we know the truth of, right? 
And we can't work well for the things of peace around us if what's going on in us is shame and guilt and fear. And at the risk of making broad assumptions here, uh, I think we all know something about that stuff. Maybe not always, but on this side of things, we've all got stuff that keeps us from living in the peace that God wants for us. And if we don't recognize that, we tend to deal with it in kind of unhealthy ways. And, you know, of course, some of us have deep hurts. You know, we may need to do some serious work with a professional to get to the root of it all. It is entirely okay to have Jesus and a therapist. Modern medicine is, is good news. I don't want to be simplistic about this, but I do think that Isaiah gives us a place to start in order to deal with our stuff. Now, and here it is. I am totally stuck this week on God's instruction to the prophet to speak tenderly to God's people. Now, in the midst of the mess that they've made, in the face of their unfaithfulness, with all of their broken hopes and dreams, this word comes when things are not going well for God's people. That word comes anyways, and it's comfort and it's tenderness. And there's lots of contextual stuff going on here, but I don't want to talk about contextual stuff today. Instead, I I want to sit for a minute in this idea that God is uh, uh, this idea of God speaking tenderly to us. By grace, we are God's people too. So this is a word for us, which means God speaks tenderly to us. And I I want to attend to that. Because I wonder how often we we experience tender words. I hope it's regularly, but we don't live in a world inclined towards tenderness. Tenderness is inefficient. Tenderness is undemanding. Tenderness lingers and delights and comforts deeply. Tenderness is cultivated. It can't be rushed or checked off a to-do list or offered impersonally. We just don't live in a world inclined towards tenderness. And so I wonder if we know, if we really know that God speaks tenderly to us. Does God's tender word echo in our souls? Are we able to hear that? Or do we imagine that like so many other voices, God's word is something else, demanding or judgmental or somehow disappointed? Now, sometimes it seems to me that, that, that God is presented as kind of a motivational speaker or a self-help guru uh, with divine powers who, whose constant enthusiasm for our abilities is meant to make us realize our full potential. But, you know, as encouraging uh, as motivational speakers are or self-help gurus may be, I've often found that the longer I listen to them, the more I realize what a paltry excuse for a human being I really am. You know, that I I should really be making more of myself, (laughs) which is just a recipe for shame and guilt and fear, right? That stuff that draws us away from the shalom for which we're made. But, you know, if... What if Isaiah's right and God's word for us is tenderness? What changes? What difference does it make to know that God delights to linger over us, to speak a grace utterly unhurried? What's true if the God who made the heavens and the earth beholds you with eyes of tenderness? If God longs to speak tenderly to you? I think it changes everything. I heard this idea once that everyone should keep a picture of themselves as a kid handy. And, and when that shame or guilt or, or the, the fear scripts that, that we all have running through our hearts and minds, and yours might be different from mine, but I bet you've got one. 
When that junk starts making noise, you should look at that picture or call it to mind and ask ourselves, what would we want this child to know it's all about this situation? You know, what kindness would we offer to a child feeling the big feelings that we have? How much grace do we have for a kid that we adults don't often give to ourselves? And the idea is to look at this picture, to really look at it, to behold this marvelous child and speak tenderly to them, which is to allow tenderness for ourselves. It's a bit hokey, but it's entirely liberating. And I want to, just just in case you think this is too silly for words, I want to show you a a picture. This is what comes up. This is my picture. Uh, This is the one I go to. Look at those knees. How How could I want anything but the best for that kid? Right? This is a good practice. I'm going to get rid of that now. <laughs> You've seen enough. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? What Isaiah reminds us is that the tenderness that we need in order to know a peace that changes the world is more than just gracious self-talk. That's a good stuff, but we need more. What we need is the word that God speaks to us. That God beholds us with tenderness, like a mother marveling at her child, only more so. Infinitely more so. God wants to speak tenderly to you. You know, I think about Jesus, raised from the dead, uh, coming back to his disciples who had all deserted him and then locked themselves in a room because they were afraid. Uh, They're locked away from the danger, likely puddles of guilt and shame and fear. And instead of chastising them for their failures or telling them to pick themselves up or, or rolling their eyes because they have been faithless again, He says, peace. And then he says it again, because they probably didn't get it the first time. Peace. He speaks tenderly to them, and it changes the world. There's a kind of spiritual logic to the passage from Isaiah that reminds us that we need God's tender word before we get to the work of making the way for peace. I think we're often inclined to jump to the uh, prepare the way of the Lord part, right? We want something to do. (laughs) We want to take action. Most of us uh, want to get on with things. We we want to get down to some mountain leveling, right? To flattening some rough spots and raising up some ditches. I I, I have to admit that usually when I hear this passage, I think bulldozers and dynamite, right? Let's get to work, turning things upside down. Change the world, church. But you know, as I reflected on Isaiah Uh, on what he says, the image changes. The bulldozers kind of go quiet and the dynamite goes back in its box. Because when the first word is tenderness, the next one probably isn't heavy machinery and explosives. It it, it changes what it means to prepare the way for the Lord. If the first word is tenderness, it draws us into the presence of the God who made the world with a word of invitation. Let there be light. God doesn't coerce the world into being but invites us and lovingly shapes beauty and life and abundance. God doesn't wrestle the chaos into creation in a cosmic and violent battle. God tenderly speaks a new possibility. So, you know, perhaps the first step in preparing the way for the Lord is to make space for ourselves to hear God well, to let God's tender word calm our frantic doing to let God's tenderness overwhelm us and heal us so that we don't try to fix the world according to our shame and guilt and fear. And it seems like the first step in pursuing peace, as the writer to Hebrews says, 
uh, is to let peace catch us. Let God's transforming word transform us before we set out to transform the world. And when we do that, we see that what Isaiah says is true, that most of the work is God's. Right? We prepare the way, but the, the voice of the Lord is the one that lays the mountains down to sleep and lifts the valleys up. This is not a hostile manipulation of the way things are. It's a holy invitation to something so other than what is that it might as well be brand new. And this has big implications for how we join in the work of making all things new with God because there is a part for us to play, right? There is a part for us to play. Jesus speaks peace to his disciples and then sends them into the world to live that peace. But Isaiah implies an an important question for us as people of faith. This is a question I have written on a cue card and tacked to my bulletin board in my office because I need to remember it. And the question is this. Are we running around, are are we in the world for God or are we in God for the world? Are we in the world for God or are we in God for the world? Are we running around trying to make the world right for God or are we letting God make us right for the sake of the world? And we might get some things right if the former is true, right? But we'll only seek shalom if the second is true. If the former is true, if we're in the world for God, we're always susceptible to the temptation to believe that what we want and what God wants are the same thing. And sometimes that plays out, but as often as not, what we discover is that God's thoughts and ways are not our thoughts and ways, and that's part of the good news. Advent is the season where we wait for the God who does things we don't expect. But if the latter is true, if we'll be in God for the world, that will move mountains. And Isaiah anticipates our skepticism. He says, what can we really do, he asks. So the people are like grass that withers and flowers that fade. But then he comes to this conclusion. He recognizes that that only matters if we begin and end with us. If we begin and end with us, whatever peace we manage will not have much saying power. But if we begin and end with God, we're caught up with the one whose word endures forever. If we begin and end with God, we're caught up with the one who made the mountains in the first place. And that opens up all kinds of possibilities. That opens us up to, to have a look around and, and ask where we need God to do some radical leveling in us and in this world. Where we need God's wild peace to pull up some valleys. Where we need God's tenderness to smooth out the rugged pathways. And to prepare the way of the Lord is not to run around getting stuff ready for God. It's to allow ourselves to trust that God's desire for us and for this world is shalom, flourishing, harmony, wholeness, completeness. It's to allow God's tender word to heal the stuff in us that works against God's good purposes, even the stuff that we are so used to that we don't know who we would be without it. And we've all got that stuff. It's to allow God's tenderness to to draw us towards and then into a whole new possibility. And then, and, and only then, to live for that new possibility with everything we've got. And to prepare the way of the Lord is to double down on our trust that God really will come among us, not like a battering ram, but like a good shepherd, as Isaiah says. The, the one who will cross heaven and earth to gather up every wayward lamb in his arms and gently lead us in the way of peace. A peace far beyond our understanding or expectation. Because God will get the world God wants. May it be so, and may we be ready. Amen.